On this edition of the podcast, we have a long-form conversation with my good friend Brian Brushwood on whether or not we are past peak partisan. All coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Friday. Friday, Friday, October 20th. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you in Austin, Texas. Not in the normal studio. We are in uh, Brian Brushwood's palatial headquarters here on the uh, outskirts of the city. And we have the man himself, Brian Brushwood. Welcome. Uh, this is going to be a different one because normally whenever I do your show, I try to be prepared, but instead I, I, I'm just writing on gut feeling. I, I have an impulse that I can't explain. And you were asking, what should we talk about? And I just blurted out. I think, I think America is getting tired of being so divisive and I think we're ready to be friends again. So let's interrogate that. Why? Because this is a challenging time to feel that considering we just had the thing that tends to divide no matter what, well, which is war in the Middle East. Right. That is, that is something that is an immediate divider, even when times are, are uh, put together. So why? Uh, well, for context, I've never been a fan of the overly simplistic theory of uh, pendulum theory, the idea of generational first, it was this, then it was that. However, uh, creep it up towards age 50. I'll be danged if the world of today doesn't look like uh, very different from the world of 1993. When I went to college, when I went to college, I was annoyed at how much like, I wanted, I wanted to make a joke. You went, go, go for it. Whenever there's in any kind of flashback, even if it's yes. 1993. Smoke, smoke on the water. The year was 1993. <laughs> the, the year was 1776. <laughs> <laughs> the year was 33 AD. <laughs> but but um, at the time I went to college in 1993, uh, there was such an eye rolling vibe that I had where everybody was uh, multiculturalism, multiculturalism was king. Right. And uh, it was so eye rolling to me. Like, yes, I get it. We're all supposed to there, there appreciate all cultures that I remember watching to this day where we were shown in class a video about how America is greatest country in the world because we have so many different people the melting from pot so many different places it used to be referred to as a melting pot where everybody would come in and you would come out american but now we like to refer to it as 
Did you not? Say it. A tossed salad. And scrambled eggs. Uh, uh, a a toss out because the idea was nobody was losing their identity of where they came from. So in, it it was a video where a cartoons would jump into a melting pot and everybody would come out with the U S flag on it in the, uh, uh, in this new analogy, it was the toss salad before that became, had other connotations uh, where everybody would be their own thing in the bowl and the bowl would be America. Uh, I can't speak for the folks that I would love to hear from, which are actual immigrants, but the impression I've gotten from the way immigration is presented and from the people who I know who are very, very, very proud to have become U.S. citizens, uh, I think that it's almost an affront. Like, no, I came to America and I learned the history and I took the test and I got the certificate because I want to be an American. I want that to be my identity. Uh, and, and, and that, that, that was prevalent in the nineties. And, but, but you're right. We we've seen a, a div, instead of a, I guess a, a sorting hat, you know, it's like, no, you're actually a blank American. Yeah. I think that in, in, you know, post nine 11, there was a lot of conversation about like, Oh, well it's the de-hyphenization of America that everybody's American because we felt uh, uh, the need to lean on one another. I would say that there was an idea that you're referring to that, that at the point that you are a jaded college kid looking to defy the the rule that is being put upon you, what you're reacting to is we all need to, uh, uh, I don't know, like, like, like understand everybody's uh, different experience but also we need to celebrate it. And that's what's changed. What's changed is now we are, we are now like returning to like, no, you need to be your experience and to wear a hat of another culture is to some way diminish it as opposed to when you were there where it was like, no, you are celebrating. If you wear a sombrero on Cinco de Mayo, you're saying, I love you, Mexicans. Yes, where now it's, I'm stealing from you, Mexicans. Right. Uh, keep in mind, every generation, and, and this is the part that I have to eat crow on, because I, I've always thought that pendulum theory was too overly simplistic, but I'll be danged if there isn't something to it. There's only so long you can clench your fists about certain things, right? So you and I grew up in... Uh, what we call the monoculture where it's yeah. like, you could talk about, did you see the show on Thursday? And you didn't have to ask which channel, which show or whatever. We all knew there was only one thing to watch on that Thursday or whatever. Yeah. Uh, TV on NBC. Yeah. And, and, and so I went to college in 1993 at this kind of peak moment of melting potness where, where it was like, Hey, you shouldn't, you, you should learn uh, Sanskrit. You should learn Indie, you should learn uh, 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 Swedish and all that stuff. Uh, I, in fact, I, I told, uh, I brought up the other day, the day I met my wife, I was wearing, I actually don't even know the name of them. It, it was a Lollapalooza find somebody had, uh, the, the kind of pill-shaped hats that the uh, uh, African, uh, uh, part of the dashiki outfit. Sure. Um, I don't know what the hat's called, but I was wearing one. 
And that was fine. That was and, because you went to a concert and it was a cool hat to wear at a concert because Rusted Root is playing. Yep. And you're like, send me on my way. And you're like, that's a cool hat. And then meanwhile, two days ago, I was trying to explain a Simpsons reference to my 15 year old. And so I had to pull up the Simpsons clip of when Homer went on tour with Lollapalooza and he's wearing, you know, the uh, uh, Jamaican the Rasta uh, hat, yeah, the Rasta hat. And, and I could feel Josie kind of clinch up. Yeah. And I was like, uh, it was 15. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but also I think she has an appetite for, uh, he, here's why I'm going to back up my theory. Uh, I think that there's now been a 15 to 20 year generation of having everybody be told about sensitivity or whatever. And kids don't find this fun. They find it dumb. They don't understand why they're going through it. And I think they're going to want to punk rock out of it and be transgressive again. Okay. And that's the weird thing is that the, the element of rebellion is where, where we are now is that the rebels won and right. now it's become the new government. So there was this idea of, again, celebrate other cultures. Everybody, every white woman should wear a sari because it means that you are closer to the plight of every white woman should know how to make sushi and how to uh, 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 make a, 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 a Congolese dish or yeah, whatever. That, that is to be cosmopolitan. Correct. That is, that is to be worldly. That is a sign of upward mobility. You are educated. You care about the rest of the world. And that is why you are doing X, Y, and Z. And then I guess maybe the internet comes along and it makes it easy to look these things up. And so now the, the concept of the tourist who, who just looks at a thing and then wears it or is there this element of stolen valor comes in and that's what it is that we have now is that to, to not live your authentic culture is to steal from another culture. And so what you're saying is those rules that what, what will never go away is the exposure to other cultures. And so for kids being raised now, although apparently not your 15 year old, uh, uh, they will say like, wait, why? why can't I do X, Y, or Z? Maybe I'm going to do this and I will challenge the powers that be. I mean, that would be the punk rock thing to do. And last time I checked uh, one universal throughout all of history is that teenagers like to defy uh, 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 the orthodoxy that they've been preached to their entire life. Which lives. is funny because the, the, the wish of all parents are that no, I'll be the difference. Like I'm going to be super cool with my kids forever. Because uh, we act, my generation actually settled it. We uh, ours was the revolution that worked, and and now my children will be raised in a beautiful, perfect society. Well, and I think there are two vectors that we can trace. I think one is a a fake out, and that would be to blame technology. Because yes, the internet did structurally allow pockets of people who felt marginalized. You know, the the one weirdo in every town. Turns out you get them all together on the internet. Now you have a new town of, of weirdos and there's got to be a, a purity weirdo king or whatever. Oh, we're, we're upset. Uh, yes. Population. Everybody. Everyone said yes. Uh, but truthfully, um, when you go back and you read Herodotus or Cicero or uh, any of the uh, uh, Greek Stoics, like 
this shit is as universal as time. It's like whatever it is your generation wants to fix about the previous generation, they're going to over preach it to your children. They're going to find it dumb and uh, too much orthodoxy and they're going to rebel against it. I mean, think I'm a little bit older than you, but like generation X was a you dad. uh, I'm going to wear flannel and have greasy hair uh, uh, pushback against the 1980s uh yeah let's get caught up on everything um and i think we're going through a similar thing and i think that um you're seeing that everything everywhere from language to political choices to uh uh uh, to to uh the fact that on the one hand like everybody has a driver's license from the moment they're eight years old they can go anywhere on the world they can find any of their friends they can form their own secret languages and so on and they could be transgressive in ways that the parents will never see. So let's get to the political element of it. And uh, uh, thank you, dear listener, for uh, waiting until we got to the part where we talk about politics. <laughs> for letting Brian clear his throat. No, no, no. I think that this is important to the larger conversation, which we, we started with in the tease. Are we past peak partisan? I think so. I So, so you are saying first, that partisanship is tied inexplicably to this cultural movement of identity. And that if identity either means less or means something different, then that means it's connection to political parties will has nowhere to go, but wait. And uh, let me begin by what I believe is solid footing with my thesis, which is the fastest growing political faction is independence. And uh, kind of a cheater because independents don't have a platform. They're just, they're disaffective. They're just uh, the remainders of uh, uh, two choices. It, 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 it depends though, because like if you want to say these are the indecisive people between team red and team blue, then yeah, it looks that way. However, the way I steadfastly remain, remain an independent, although, you know, I always vote liber- libertarian. Um, what I, Philosophically, the reason I am comfortably in this position is because I am against the cartel, the duopoly of Team Red and Team Blue working together to constantly keep all of America fighting with each other. And I I have yet to encounter somebody who, I mean, since maybe Ron Paul 2008 has made me want to step back into the red-blue dichotomy. Before we even get into there, like, do you believe that it's the parties that are dividing us or are we divided and the parties are taking advantage of it? Uh, the latter, like yeah. uh, the parties are doing what I don't think that they're that smart. Like I've, I've, I've met people who do things and that there's no, everybody wants to believe that it's Ronald Reagan and the SNL mastermind thing where somebody, but like, Somebody behind the scenes knows what's going on. No, They're nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yeah. And when you look at a, a partisan communication, right. Or partisan content in general, anything from the Republican side, well, the liberals know what they're doing. That's why they put these messages and these messages and sure messaging happens. Liberal side, conservatives know what they're doing. This is the, uh, a Christian agenda that is being put forth, blah, 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 blah. I think all of that is horseshit. Yeah. Because I think, I think what it boils down to is Americans in general 
are not comfortable with the crazy 10 party system of Ireland or whatever. And we're also not comfortable with the one party system of China. And uh, while there will be people like me on the fringes who would like to see more alternatives, we, I believe that me and mine are in the minority. And I think the majority of people rather like the idea of just give me chocolate and vanilla and let me pick between the two. Can I, can I pitch something to you? Yeah. I think that part of the reason why we have in my lifetime, I feel like we have gotten more partisan. I think polling backs up the fact that we've gotten more partisan. And I think part of it is because politics has gotten more national, not controversial, possibly controversial. I think we like it. I think we're into the idea of, oh, wait, I can know what politics are if I don't have to think that, oh, crap. Okay, so politics are where the light is going to go on Broadway and 25th. And politics is also in my state and my four abortion restrictions. And it's also who the speaker of the house is. And it's also well, who I'm going to vote for, for Senator. And it's also president. If you can just say politics is who's the president and are these people that you disagree with bad? You're like, great. Cause that's all national politics is right. And so if you can reduce it to that and then everything else can just be eh, whatever the national people say. I mean, let, let's say in 1971, what you wanted was a progressive agenda or a conservative agenda or whatever, which is assuming that people have ideological underpinnings, but go ahead. Right. But, but where, what would you do? You would be advised start local and that's yeah. what you would do. Uh, you don't have to start local. You could go straight to that retweet button now. And uh, I, I, I think that uh, social media is an accelerant, a bit of, again, I don't want to blame everything on the structure. Local? That That's that's local, right? No. Maybe, maybe, no, 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 no. I know it's not really local, but for your brain. Right. Is that is that not the most local thing you can do? My finger, this button, go. Seems pretty local to me. Hey, look, I I did my part. I mm -hmm. stepped on a bug. Yeah. Uh I think that America in general is figuring out that that's not working out so great for us. And I think that uh politically right. speaking, let me, let, me, let me ask that. Why do you think that? I think to be totally reductionist. You think, you think America is pessimistic. I guess you can say by polling that America does not believe that we are on the right track. Uh, if, if, if I'm going to be overly simplistic, I'll put it this way. I think we all miss good Thanksgivings. I think it's been a decade since any of us have had a good fun Thanksgiving filled with a lot of talking and laughter and hearing opinions that we don't agree with. And I think we're all hungry for it. I think there's an entire generation of 18 year olds who have never known a happy Thanksgiving. And I think they're hungry for it. So then, all right, let, let's bring it down to that level. How do we make Thanksgivings great again? I mean, to be honest, like if the, if the desire is there, it's going to happen on its own. You know, like we've already learned the rhetorical tricks of like, uh, like uh, there was, there was some moment that, one of my closest relatives made a joke that I very visibly on my face, I thought was inappropriate. And then he just kind of smiled and held his hands out. It was like, Hey, 
it's your dad. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like somehow that made it okay. We're not going to tell you which relative. <laughs> yes. But, 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 but it was kind of neat. It was like he acknowledged, he understood that he was speaking a language that didn't mesh with my values. Uh, but also, you know, he was using a reference to a meme that means nothing to me, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think that we're all very, very hungry to reconnect. And I think that we're all hungry. And again, I hate that I'm tipping my hat to the pendulum theory, but I think that we're coming up on the 40 year anniversary of 1993. And we're going to go back to we're we're at least we have a long way to go, but I think we are swinging wildly back to getting along with each other for a bit. Yeah, I guess if I'm going to take it from a technocratic perspective, my argument would be that we actually get along with each other better than we have. The difference is, is that the things that we get along with each other on necessitate us finding an enemy. And that enemy means that when we do disagree, we disagree virulently. Uh, we, we are very, very good at finding tribe. We're, we've never been better. It's never been easier to find a tribe uh, online. This, this is the, the watchman theory is the only way to unite humanity is to invent an alien. Well, it's spoilers for, for Watchmen, but there's one person's uh, uh, right. idea who that is. Uh, uh, the hero of Watchmen, which is what makes it a complicated and awesome story. Is, talking about the, that HBO series? Uh, <laughs> is the racist crank who is, is Batman, right? Yeah. The, the, the guy who is writing uh, 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 unhinged letters to the the conservative magazine is ultimately the hero in that he wants to tell the truth. Tell the truth from a populist perspective. Uh, he finds out a horrifying secret. There is a technocrat who believes that he can out-engineer the apocalypse. And then God basically says to the technocrat, no, you've not really stopped anything. Everything will be bad again and you'll have to make a decision on whether or not you again want to pay this horrifying price but then also says now that the horrifying price has been paid I cannot allow the truth teller to tell the truth and have this price be paid for nothing and eliminates the truth teller how wild is it that uh, 40 nobody takes that story seriously and we've had one we literally have lived through a noble lie from a, a, a government official uh, uh, g- 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 like that's wild. Well, I mean, I, I will not presume to know what's in Alan Moore's uh, uh, crazy snake magic brain, uh, uh, because he is uh, an extraordinarily he's he's, he's telling uh, clever uh, uh, classic myths and legends, but but like we lived through in the last four years a government entity telling a noble lie, uh, in the same vein. Yeah, I mean, the more that we, the more, the more that we see, and the more that we know uh, about elements of of uh, COVID and how it was handled and how the lockdowns were handled, I, I don't think that we're going to look back and say that scientifically the best job was done. Which is funny because a lot of our plan for COVID came from George W. Bush reading a book about the Spanish flu and then going to his team and saying, 
I just read a book about the Spanish flu. What hey, happens y'all. if the Spanish flu happens again? I'm about to make this painting, but I want you to be prepared for a crazy pandemic. Go ahead, make a plan. Uh, and the lessons they took from that book were that uh, separations of crowds was the key. And that didn't happen back in the day. And if you were to deal with something like that again, it would have to happen more stringently. I've thought about this a lot because I had a lot of time on my hands when I couldn't go outside. (laughs) Uh, I could go outside. I I don't want to over, I don't want to oversell it. This is not a podcast on the blaze, but like, uh, I don't know. You, you, you were in Oakland, so maybe you couldn't go outside. No, I, I could go outside. It was, uh, it was not the government that restricted. It was the culture that did. Yeah. And it was the government that, fed the culture that said it was irresponsible to see people in a way that was not in this very removed perspective. And there was, you know, all all the rules that we put on um, polite society to say that you are taking care of it. You're doing your part on stuff that made what it that made what it was. And, and like, we look back now and I think I'll be fascinated because I don't want to presume to know the final answers. All I know are the, 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 the data that I've seen at this point, but I'll be fascinated to know what the generation after us looks back at that situation and how they judge it. Cause I suspect that based on some of the data that I've seen, they are going to say, well, probably two things. Number one, the question of where this came from should have constantly been a diamond tipped drill bit to the truth. Like that, that there should be no level of bureaucracy or politics, local or international that should stop us from, from getting to the truth. There should never be permitted the idea of, well, what does it matter? It matters. Right. It matters for, genomic sequential reasons it matters for intellectually honest reasons it matters for capital t capital s the science so there's that we can go a whole nother hour on a different conversation about uh, uh what led in the way of that but then on the other side as far as the lockdowns go i wonder about if this wasn't just like hey uh old people a bubble for you immunocompromised, a bubble. We owe it to everybody else to make sure that we uh, 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 do not break down the full bonds of society. Like, I, I do think that there, that there was a, a real damage to that. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Guys, the news moves fast these days. And to be totally honest, I don't think it is going to stop moving fast for 12 calendar months. So if you want to get on the Patreon that gives you two bonus episodes in the dead times when we don't normally have episodes to come out, well, now's the time to do it. 
TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $3 level for the price of a cup of coffee. You get two bonus episodes. Telling you, if you like my read on things, it's a good thing to do. Let's get into your update right now. And this, in full disclosure, is being recorded at 3 p.m. Central Time on Thursday. We're going to put this episode out early because uh, I, I don't know when the news is supposed to stop turning with what is happening in the House. But this is the latest. The House Republican leadership is in disarray over electing a new speaker. That is very dog bites man. They are considering a plan to elect Speaker Pro Tem Patrick McHenry until January, temporarily sidelining Representative Jim Jordan, the GOP speaker designate, who has failed to secure enough votes for that role. That is if they don't bring another vote for Jordan. This is being pushed by people on both sides of this argument, allegedly or reportedly, because the people that don't want Jordan to be speaker want him to fail one more time. And the people that do want Jordan to be speaker believe that they can reduce the number of no votes, which would mean Jordan would be closer than he is now after he saw votes run away from him on a second vote. But Jordan has said that he is supportive of the idea of McHenry becoming Speaker Pro Tem. This proposal has led to a turbulent atmosphere amongst House Republicans. Again, what else is new? With intense meetings and divided opinions. Some support holds that more more votes on Jordan's candidacy, while others suggest that he should step aside fully. So, if Jordan is saying that he wants McHenry to be the pro tem, then maybe he should step aside and there should be somebody else that steps up. Meanwhile, the reality of bringing up a vote for speaker pro tem is that Democrats are going to vote for it. We talked about this a little bit more in our episode, uh, our Patreon episode on Thursday. Well, this is coming out Thursday, but, but the Patreon episode that came out Thursday morning. The Democrats' conditions for supporting a speaker pro tem, which included demand that appoint that the appointee voted to certify the 2020 election and will work on bipartisan government funding. The Republican resolution to appoint McHenry aims to act quickly but faces uncertainty. And that uncertainty is because there's more that the Democrats want. And the question is, how much will they hold up McHenry if this actually becomes the reality? This has prompted concerns from Democrats about the procedural change in the House, but GOP leadership is unlikely to agree to such alterations. Some Republicans fear that the ongoing division is essentially ceding control to the Democrats. And and there's no doubt that there is a part of this that is that. You have the ability to control the House. It is only the inability for the Republicans to agree with each other that is stopping that. Again, there's a reason why this episode is coming out earlier than it normally does, and that's because this is an ongoing conversation with reports unconfirmed as of this recording that there may well be another Jordan vote tonight. Moving on to international news. Also, Kurmasheva, a Russian-American journalist, entered Russia on May 20th with a family emergency. But while awaiting a flight out on June 2nd, she was detained by Russian authorities. Kormasheva, an editor at Radio Free Europe, Radio's Liberty, was was, uh, deterred 
sorry, was charged with failing to register as a foreign agent. The detention marked the second instance of a U.S. journalist being detained in Russia in the year 2023 following an earlier arrest of Evan Gorshevich on espionage charges. Both journalist detentions reflect the escalating tensions between Russia and the United States with concerns raised by the Committee to Protect Journalists regarding the spurious criminal charges against Kermasheva and the call for her immediate release. Kermasheva's case highlights the broader scenario of press freedom in Russia, which has come under scrutiny due to the country's stringent laws against journalists and media outlets, especially those with foreign affiliations. This situation not only strains U.S.-Russia relations, but also casts a shadow of operational freedom and safety of international journalists in Russia. As of recent updates, organizations and individuals advocating for press freedom continue to call on Russian authorities for the immediate release of detained journalists and a more transparent, fair treatment toward the media community. We've been in trouble with the idea of Russian detainees since we made the trade for Brittany Griner. I mean, no matter what, this is going to be a jammed up situation. But we set a condition on what we would trade for. And that means that for many reasons, Russia is at least not going to be deterred from keeping others. And finally, Sidney Powell, the lawyer known for her release the Kraken conspiracy theories and efforts to overturn former President Donald Trump's 2020 election loss in Georgia, pled guilty to a reduced charge as part of a plea deal with prosecutors. The plea came on the eve of the Georgia election interference case against her. Powell is the second defendant to reach a deal in this case concerning the 2020 election. Under the plea agreement, Powell will serve six years probation and pay a fine of $6,000. This development is a remarkable turnaround for Powell, who'd been a starch advocate of election fraud claims. Her guilty plea is seen as part of a larger narrative surrounding attempts to overturn the 2020 election results in Georgia reflecting the ongoing legal and political fallout from the 2020 election. There was nobody aside from Rudy Giuliani and Lidwood that was more in front of the idea that Dominion voting machines were algorithmically switching votes to Democrats than Sidney Powell. She was referred to derisively by other members of Trump's inner circle who were slowly uh, pushed out as they would not back the idea that Trump did not lose the 2020 election. Whether or not her testimony will be important in that case remains to be seen. What we do know is that Sidney Powell was involved in the idea of, at the very least, securing servers from one county election location. And that's something that I think was hard enough evidence beyond just the idea that you would try to flip the election via an alternate slate of electors uh, that, that you would have legal exposure on and would want to reach a plea deal. And that's your update brought to you by take politics, seriously.com head on over there right now. $3 level gets you two bonus episodes each and every week. And now back to my conversation with Brian. Twitter is only 15 years old or whatever. Right. And Mm -hmm. took about five years for us to figure out that not everything was sharing funny stories and what have you. 
that nuance got lost and people who meant something as a friendly jape would be read as something hostile. And all of a sudden people were fighting who shouldn't be fighting and so on. And the reason was because of uh, the limitations and uh, sarcasm dies in an email or nuance dies in an email. And then on top of that, we hit the pandemic and for very good reasons, we kind of self-select into the spectrum of extroversion, introversion. And those of us who want to go outside to be responsible citizens are wearing something that covers up half of the social cues that we would naturally give off to other people. So all of a sudden, in-person interactions become easy to misunderstand because you don't know if somebody's giving a sly smile or what have you when they say a certain thing. And, and, and we saw all of these uh, manic blowups or what have you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and now we have uh, separate factions of people who are like already decided that the pandemic's in the past and they're happy to go back to being extroverts. Other people who, uh, and it's not as simple as extroverts, introverts, but I do think that that feeds into it somehow. Um, uh, and other people who uh, want to cling to, no, we must all stay very far away from each other and write emails. Um, I think that there is an increasing hunger for the simplicity of like, uh, take anybody as polar opposite as you are on the political spectrum, on the religious spectrum, on the type of humor spectrum or whatever. It's different when the two of you are facing each other face to face, able to read every single bit of facial expression and what on an email or on a tweet or behind a mask would be hostile and worthy of flipping a table over yeah. suddenly ceases to be so. And I think that's what we're all hungry for. And I think we're going to see some of that in our willingness to compromise on our political uh, uh, choices. If you are correct and we are past peak partisan, what does that look like in the next 10 years? What is the one thing that you can say right now that in 10 years you'll be like, see, I told you. Number one, there will be a lot of chatter about a third party. But if there's one thing that America's entire history has proven is that deep down Americans don't want a third party. So uh, the but. But the power of an independent section. So you, are, so you are saying, and this is again to your point about, you know, 1993, 1992, we have the greatest run. The of closest we ever got to a third party. And, and one that, boy, go back in time and have Ross Perot not quit running for president because he believes his campaign is infested with CIA agents that were sent by George H.W. Bush. Like if he doesn't stop, if he keeps going, man, I would love, uh, I would have loved to see that, that final uh, election tally. Cause I still think either Clinton or Bush win. I don't think that Ross Perot would be president of the United States, but I do think that it would be closer and the incentive for another candidate to do the same thing would be higher. Well, and, and think about like, uh, go back to 1984 Mondale versus Reagan. And I was just marveling 
at remembering Tom Brokaw standing in front of a map that had 46 contiguous states, all the same color, and two of... 88. uh, uh, 88 was Mondale. uh, No, No. it was 84, because 88 was H.W. Bush versus Dukakis, says the person on your podcast. Um, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but 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 uh and then we see a softening of that you know dukakis still gets stomped but we're yeah. a little bit back right and then uh uh then we uh, we have that soft spot where where perot actually made a dent um and and by the way uh, some people regret voting for perot please don't regret voting for perot uh the math seems to indicate that uh, all he did was take the disaffected voters who weren't going to vote either way and capture them. Uh, but uh, he didn't swing the election one no. way or the other. No, 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 no. But I don't know why people always say this. Oh, Uh-oh. did he string the election? Uh, uh, but I don't know what. In my heart, he did. And he should have. Because guess what? It's not the job of a third party candidate. This is the thing that I hate. I hate this argument the most of like, oh, third party voters. It's the most effective way to dissuade you to say that you are affecting the party that you might agree more with as opposed to the other party. Wait, okay. You said the words no, but then it sounds like you agree with me. <laughs> no, I, I, I want third party voters. Yes. To vote however they want. Yes. I want to divorce them from the idea that they should think about how their vote affects the other two parties. Yes, I agree. Uh, and, uh, and so, and so whenever the, the Ross Perot conversation comes up of, well, did he throw the election to Clinton? Did he throw the election to, to Bush, blah, 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 or you know, however you want to do that. And now we have settled on this nice night, uh, neat, tidy, like a bow on it. Oh, it turns out we really reviewed everything and he didn't really affect anything. And that's a nice statistical argument to be made uh, that makes everything fine. Where I, well, whether or not that's true, I don't think it needs to be uh, something that where the lesson comes out as so, you, so you need to worry about how it affected the other part. Part of you is upset that that even needs to be a factor. Well, because like, it still is happening today. Yeah. Like yeah. the thing that bothers me the most, and I've yelled about it on this show forever, is like the no labels movement right now. Right. right? They're putting together a lot of money. They're actually going to have their convention in Dallas, and I want to go. Uh, uh, you know what? I, I, just, I, just, just so I can hang out at the lobby bar. I will clear my calendar. Wherever, wherever whatever gobbledygook is going to have it up there. I just want to be around it. Uh, just me, Joe Manchin, and John Huntsman hanging out. But uh, the. Democrat argument is this is dangerous. It's terrible. It's like, why? Because it's going to hurt us. And it's like, okay, so that's fine. You can say that you can, you can make that argument, but from the no labels perspective, why should they listen to you? Right. Like, and why should anybody who's thinking about voting no labels who is so disaffected by the two parties that have all the privileges, all the money, all the advantage you're telling me you can't swat off this fly. Like, 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 like this is not, if you lose, it will be your fault. Major party, right? It will not be anything to do the, the, the fact that we've kind of internalized getting away with blaming 
the Ralph Nader's and Jill Stein's. If only butterfly ballads, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's like, no, enough of that. Like, like third parties, these third party people should be able to waste their vote in peace. Leave them be. Well, and uh, specifically there's a new, over the last few years, I heard a new version of it that, that rather made me happy. Um, Yes. I am aware that no third party is going to end up winning too much of significance. However, the more people that identify as independent, the more people that identify as disaffected with the duopoly, the more people that identify as, as a, a, a third party voter, that becomes a tasty, tasty snack in a 50, 50 face off between team red and team blue. Now, all of a sudden your shared values of the disaffected middle, like now they're going to decide well, how much do I want to change my policy in order to court you? So it actually does have a substantive, if not in practice, at least in rhetoric, effect on how people run. In, in, in American political history, third parties exist to move the two parties to, to one place or another. Right. 100%. Uh, let me pitch this. I, I, I've been thinking about trying to do a, like a rollout for it, but this seems like as good a time as any to pitch this idea to you. I flirted with becoming uh, the head of an organized movement. Go on. Politically. Yeah. It's the largest group of voters in America. Uh, Are they non-voters? Brian, I would like to be the leader non-voters. Okay. Explain to me the difference between what you want to do mm-hmm. comedically. I'm here for it because it's, no, an, this is dead serious. I, I understand. Serious. I understand. What is the difference between the way you're pitching it and the way I'm pitching it? Because I'm saying by remaining independent or being third party, you become part of a voting block that states very loudly. This issue is up for grabs. Which one of you guys wants to make me happy? How is that different with the no voting party? Well, it's not a, it's not a party. I'm representing a movement. It's more of a dour kind of rave. It's, it's literally just the rest of us. And, and we, political science, uh, prizes for obvious reasons, people who say they are going to vote. And that's the way, if you are being paid to win a campaign, you're going to speak to the people that have said, I have voted before I plan on voting again. Right. Because they're so trustworthy. Well, it's a, well, I mean, operationally, if you're trying to do a job, that's the fastest way to do it. Does that mean it's the only way to do it? No. Uh, And so if you are talking about a world where we spend so much time and so much money thinking about politics and how to win elections, then why are we just cording off the uh, uh the, the the galaxy of voters like into just people who have voted and say they want to vote you know what actually i think you're really onto something and and i'm being totally sincere because i think what i was saying is we want to i think there's a hunger to come together uh i don't think any red team member wants to switch to the blue team no. i don't think any blue team member wants to switch to the red team but one thing we can all agree on is that we're stepping away from partisanship. And if that's what you're representing, then all of a sudden 
Like I believe like I would like to, I would like to literally give you my wallet right now uh, to support this. What I would like to do. And if I were being dead serious about this and I don't know whether or not I am in terms of my own time and money and effort, but the nonpartisan party, uh, uh, I, I like non-voter because it pisses people off. It just makes people fine. But, like, but, but it's the same sentiment, yeah. right? Essen- it's like, just step away. Well, here's the other thing is that I know the one thing that pisses people off the most, especially as we get closer to an election is me loudly and proudly saying, don't I'm, vote. Yes. If you don't have an opinion, don't get bullied into voting. The only way you to waste allowed, your votes. You are allowed to not vote. Please stay home and get high. I am begging you. If that is what you want to do, then please do it. And I don't care what your mom says. I don't care what your wife says. I don't care what your husband says. Don't listen to them. They're just trying to recruit you for their own selfish aims. You deserve to settle on somebody that is speaking for you. And if these candidates are not speaking for you, then don't give them your vote and you should be proud of it. Yeah. We should state loudly that guess who actually won every election? Us non-voters non-voters have won every election since I don't know. I have to do the math. Sure. Sure. Uh, then, and then at that point you can actually poll non-voters and you can say, Hey, what do non-voters care about? So, and you can give if I'm trying to heal our political world, then making non-voters an actual viable, visible group is something that brings at least the focus of let's not only because we talk about partisanship, partisanship comes from the fact that the people that care the most about these parties become louder and louder and louder. Right. And they're the only people that matter. They're the only people that you are paying attention to. If you're also paying attention to a gigantic group of non-voters that lives in your district that you can speak to because they say, yeah, I'm into this. I'm not into this. Then maybe you get more candidates that can create a broader coalition that are less polarized. Can I make a pitch for a, this is a branding pitch and I, you probably won't like it, but what if you called it the Brewster party named after Brewster's millions where he wastes all of his money, encouraging everybody to vote for none of the above. And the, there's only one tenant of the Brewster party. And that is by default. The answer is none of the above. If you want me to vote for anything, you better have something that I care so much about you better not play on fear because uh, because uh, whatever, I don't care. Red team, blue team, you're all the same douchebags. But but if you're going to sell me something that I believe in, maybe you could get my vote. But by default, there's only one pledge in the Brewster party, and that's eh, none of the above. Uh, uh, I am. I'm into it. I, I, I genuinely think that. Uh, don't vote. None of the above. I like don't vote. I know, but uh, but uh, you know that none of the above is the cop out that Australia does because they have compulsory voting. You have to vote, yeah, but, but you're no, allowed I to vote I for that. Uh, that about okay. Australia. I love so much about Australia. Not that really, part. Okay, I really hate compulsory voting. Okay, forget about the compulsory Mostly because it's against my my central tenet that not you, you should be allowed to not vote. Cool and right. legal. Okay, but would you be for the option on every ballot of none of the above? I think that's useless. Oh my God. No, no, no. What if, what if part of the voting rules were do it? All right. Some places. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm going to pitch you the concept of none of the above, except it's called the libertarian party. I'm aware you can do it (laughs) from your couch without filling out a ballot. It's called not voting. We got it. It exists. 
The the problem is is you can't distinguish between the uninformed and the disaffected. This is my pro this is exactly what I want to break down. We we think about that from a political operative's perspective. Right. That we're like, well, these people are they don't vote, they're never gonna vote, blah, 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 blah. Don't care about them. Don't do ads for them. Don't create messaging for them. Uh, uh, we are only trying to activate the people that, that are the easiest, the lowest hanging fruit uh, electorally. We need to get them to the polls and do it. And look, I appreciate that. There is an art to that. What I want to do from a from this side of the aisle is to say, maybe there's stuff here that you haven't tried. Maybe there are people here that are waiting for the right message and you are only as a political operative, you just need to craft the right message for them. One that can broaden your coalition in a way that can give you an electoral advantage uh, uh, that you otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, I think we have, we have a very reductive political culture right now. And when you have that many non-voters, that's the market inefficiency. Mathematically, I think you're correct. However, at Thanksgiving, when somebody asks, who are you going to vote for? What team are you on? Uh, um, I would prefer to have a tool of disambiguation, one that signals, no, I do care very much. However, by default, I am of the Brewster party. None of the above so you versus are, you are- I, because if you just say, I don't vote now, all of a sudden you're in, you know, everybody's piling on like, why don't you vote? It's your American exactly. right. Like so, if right. you love that argument, then fine. But, but personally, I want, I want to have a magical, code phrase that says I am a free thinking individual and I am waiting for somebody to pitch me. You are helping, you are helping me try to take this away from being something that I know is controversial. And what I would like to do is give people a, a, a punk rock movement that, that elicits exactly. I I think the Brewster party is pretty punk rock. Enough with nobody has seen that movie in 30 years. Oh no. They, they will now. Yeah. I should give it Amazon. I've never, I've never seen it. Oh my God. We're going to sit and watch it. It's amazing. Just so you know where your reference is. Okay. All right. Uh, I, 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 I get your point though. Your point is you want an intellectual framework to this beyond prove it to me, which is what I, I, I want a punk rock statement of, yeah, you should be pissed. And you want an element of, no, I'm, I'm on, I'm halfway over my side of the bridge. Your party just doesn't seem interested in me. Right. I want to be able to say that I refuse to be a partisan on Team Red or Team Blue, but also indicate that I am not a, 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 a numbskull who doesn't care about this. And, and, and that's the distinction. I also just desperately want to make it cool because that's the other problem is that you could do like, oh, uh, we are the you, you conscientious have, non-voters. You have not seen Brewster's Millions. Uh, I haven't. We need to watch it because I'm pretty sure the N word is used a lot. Not cool. It's very punk rock. You said you wanted punk rock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I what 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 you are what you are asking for is a conversation that you can have that is akin to being a third party, but you are not saying that I uh, ascribe to the tenets of the libertarian or the green party. Correct. I am, I am a free radical 
I am willing to align with anybody that speaks my language. Right. If you would only just listen to what my language is. I, I want a political version of being able to say I am a hardcore agnostic, by which I mean I've thought and read very, very much on this issue, but I am not pledged to any of the contenders. And that is different from I am pledged to not go to church or whatever. Yeah. I think I'd probably get the most attention by saying, don't vote. You're, you're not I'm wrong. Here, I'm, you're not wrong. I'm here to tell you to not en- en- Enjoy having discussions five times long. I'll be busy getting all the uh, st- stovetop stuffing and, and the, the dark meat turkey while it's good. And that awesome. Be busy uh, watching Brewster's Millions. For that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, you'll have seen it by then. That's, that's. No lie. Yeah. Say. It's like, you, you can't stop me from projecting things into your room tonight, can you? You're just going to be sending me. I'm just going to be getting text messages. Hey, man, what's going on? Uh, we got to uh, talk about that new project. It's like, oh, what new project? <laughs> Brewster's Millions. <laughs> YouTube link. Brewster's Millions. <laughs> part one of 12. Uh, but, but to sum up, I think there's a, uh, I think there are two factors. One is there's a hunger among adults to get back to being friendly with each other. Um, we no longer have proximate causes that are uh, anxiety inducing, uh, at least not in terms of global pandemics and surprise presidential winners and so on. Uh, but meanwhile, the more important one is we have a whole generation of kids who are about ready to rebel against the language policing of, uh, you know, of, 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 of that, that is happening with the culture wars. I think everybody's tired of the culture wars. I think everybody's tired of having to keep track of who, which of their family members they're allowed to like and not like. I think that everybody is desperately seeking an, a, a way, uh, some kind of way that nobody has to admit defeat and all of us can hang out and have a chill time together. But that's apathy. No, no, that was that was Gen X. The reaction of Gen X to their parents. Okay, if, if, if the if, parents if, have too many rules, yeah, no. If it, so, like, if, if you want to call it apathy, that's man. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's that's fine. I, I, I'll even yeah. Let's call it apathy because if we could do Gen X 2.0, I think it's time. I think that's where I, we are far from there. But boy, do I see everything swinging that way where it's like, could y'all mom, dad, quit yeah. freaking out? Could, can we just be cool? Load up on guns. Bring your friends. What? Well, remember Gen X? I'm on a plane. Another song. I I'll can't complain. <laughs> oh. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people find more of you? Uh, there's only one thing I want everybody to listen to, and it really is truly worth starting from the beginning. That's World's Greatest Con. Start with season one. The reason we're doing seasons is because each one is uh, secretly an audiobook. Uh, the production is incredible. The stories are incredible. It's the thing I am most proud of that I've ever been part of. It's really, really great. And we are... I'd say 45% through the new season. Yeah. Uh, uh, which, th- which, which will be a shorter one, but I will say. But this will be the first year that we've done two seasons in one year. We're trying desperately to get two seasons out this year. And this one will be, will be the 
the first any hint about it, but by far the most politically relevant season. Even though you're not going to hear us talk about the politics, there's a reason you'll know the political. Yes. Yeah. We're not going. Yeah. We, this show is where you talk about the politics. Uh, uh, the, the, there is a story that you have heard a lot about if you have listened to this show, but you have no context for the, uh, the, the greater story of it. And this will be that story. So uh, it'll be a really good time. Make your guesses in the comments. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Dude, I vote none of the above because I'm part of the Brewster Party. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show is edited by Brett Stewart. If you would like to send me an email, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. On Twitter, it is Justin R. Young. You can find me live on Twitch most weeks, but this week is a little spotty. px3live.com. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy at px3podcast.com. If you want to send me a one-time donation, you can do so on PayPal. It's paypal.me slash payjury, P-A-Y-J-U-R-Y. Venmo, where money isn't real. You can send me justin-young-20. On Cash App, it is px3cash. And you can send me anything you'd like in the mail. Post Office Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is P.O. Box. 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at com. And guys, things are moving fast, especially in Congress and internationally. It's a good time to be on the Patreon. You get the two bonus episodes each and every week on Monday and Thursday. $3 tier gets you that. All the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule direct to the odd catcher of your choice. Never have to sign in. Just get an RSS feed. You put it in the podcatcher. That's it. $3 tier. $10 tier gets you that and your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Mike, John, DP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy Mack. And vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Chucker. Sarah, uh, Sarah, Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, his nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley Stephen, Nomadic Terran, Molly's delightful demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D-Laser, Nick Wood, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Gen, D, Really? Chopper, Andrew, Adam and or sorry, Andrew and Adam L. If you would like to have your name read at the end of the show, there's only one place to do it. Take politics seriously. Oh, Gloria Young. My mom signed up at the $10 level. So not only and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, but also the OG. My mom. Gloria Young herself. That's it for this week. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh!
you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.